This is the Jocko Underground Podcast, number 81. <laughs> Echo Charles sitting across from me. So about every month or so, something like that, uh, I get a, someone at Echelon Front, I get a client, and we'll get this scenario that'll happen. And we kind of hinted about it on the last podcast that we did, the last underground podcast that we did. You know, you got the, the client, Jim, who's the boss, and he's in charge of, you know, Fred, one of the employees. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting when you're at National Front, you talk to everybody in the chain of command. You know, you talk to the, the, the C-suite, you talk to the mid-level managers, you talk to the frontline troopers, so you, you get input from everybody. You kind of know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And you get it from a few different angles. So anyways, you have this bad relationship here between Jim and Fred, bad communication, you know, things were breaking down, this is kind of brewing over time. And so Jim, the boss, you know, he's going to sort it out. And so he has, you know, he has a call with Fred. He tells me, you know, like, I'm going to have a call with Fred. And he gets, you know, whatever. Next day he calls me up. Yeah. Had a, I had a great conversation with Fred. And, you know, I kind of I know Jim. And I'm like, you know, been talking to him. And so I kind of know what to expect a little bit. Mm. So I asked him a simple question. I just said, oh, great conversation. He's like, yeah. And I go, how much did you talk, Jim? And how much did Fred talk? Mm. (laughs) And it was silence. Because when I asked that question, he knew. He knew, Jim knew that on that conversation with Fred, Jim had talked 90% of the time. Mm. I said, how much? You know, he, I said, I said, so how much did you talk? How much did he talk? And he was quiet and he says, I talk too much. And I said, well, how much did you talk? What percentage? He said, I probably talked 98% of the time, which actually oh, means he talked 98% of the time. So I've got news for you. That is not a quote, good conversation. It's definitely not a great conversation. That's barely even a conversation. That's me just downloading. That's Jim just downloading on Fred. It's a one-way conversation. Mm -hmm. And that is not communication because people forget that the most important part of communication is actually listening. It's not talking, it's listening. You ever heard that old school dating advice? (laughs) Dating advice that says, oh, you know, you go out with a girl, ask them about themselves and let themselves talk. You ever hear that? Mm Mm-hmm. And it kind of works, mm-hmm. you know. Even if you, even if you're just meeting a, someone from a business situation, yeah. you know, if you just ask them about themselves and let them talk, that's very positive. Usually ends up with a very positive. Gives them a positive feeling, as opposed to you go in there and you just run your mouth for an hour and a half during dinner. Yeah, not positive. It's not good. We're not doing that. No. So. What we want to do is when we have problems, when we have drama, when we have issues with an employee, when we have problems, drama, or issues with a peer, when we have problems, drama, or issue with our boss, and we want to, quote, have a conversation about it, let me tell you what you do. You listen. You listen to what they're saying. By the way, this applies to children as well. This applies to your kids. When your kids are doing something that they shouldn't be doing, or when they're behaving in a way that they shouldn't be behaving, 
You have to actually listen to why they're doing it. You have to ask them a question and listen. Look, does that apply to a five-year-old? Sometimes, look, sometimes five-year-olds do dumb things that you need to stop them from doing. But you get a kid that's 14 years old, you need to listen to what they're saying. You think you know everything. You think you do. You think you know everything. You think you know what's going through their mind. You don't. You have to listen. Your wife is mad. Listen. And I'm not saying go on to the, 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 the warning that I gave on the last podcast. This doesn't mean like, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? No, that's not what I'm talking about. We're not, we're not turning listening into interrogation. That's not what we're doing. Your wife's mad? Listen to what's happening. Listen to what she's saying. Your husband's in a bad mood? Listen. The more that you listen, the more you understand. The more you listen, oddly enough, the more you see. The more you listen, the more you see. Write that down. The more you listen, the more you see. You cannot be detached when your mouth is moving. You can't think and absorb information when you are putting out information, at least not effectively, at least not efficiently. So that's what we're doing. We're listening. There you go. Let's get into some Q and A. That old school dating advice or whatever. Yeah. Yep. Um. They they did a. I think it's like they did a study. It's funny. They. I, I always laugh when people say they did. A, who did? Who did a study? Yeah. They, they. They did. Them. Them. Yeah. Some, okay. Someone other than me mm-hmm. that I read about did mm-hmm. a study. Um. That. So what had happened was, in a nutshell, through the study, that the, the uh, guys, guy and guys and girls in this party scenario, right? And the guy basically all the guy did. Was and there's other techniques in this study like mirroring and you know some of that stuff, but all it was was them asking questions about the other person and letting them talk. They didn't say the name of himself, nothing. They just asked questions like about the other person. So the other per- this other person never knew the name of the subject, never knew um, any anything about the subject. All they would do is get prompted to to mm-hmm. answer questions or whatever about themselves. Mm-hmm. And then there's, you know, there's like a ranking at the end of the thing where it's like, who was the most like, who did, who's the most memorable, mm-hmm. likable, less like, you know, all this stuff or whatever. And that guy who just did the the mm-hmm. asking about the other person, number one likable thing. And then they say, okay, why'd you like him? Whatever he goes, oh, he just, I just felt like he really understood me and mm-hmm. he was very easy to talk to, like all this stuff or whatever. And rank number one yep. across the board. Didn't even know his name. Big scam. <laughs> right? <laughs> yes, one big scam. But damn, like that's just, that's just. Proof, you know, that, the, that study, and I actually think that con- that study was conducted by the University of Bro Science. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> that is a Bro Science bro, uh, University. Bro science yep, yep. Uh, but yeah, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. It makes sense. Yeah. You know, like you let people talk, you listen to what they're saying, they're going to be appreciative of that. Yeah. As opposed to you freaking barking at them. Shut the yeah. hell up, man. You know what's funny when you kind of detach, right? Mm-hmm. I learned that when when you're 
barking at someone or actually not even barking, like go back to the situation with Fred or whatever, the one you were saying where he was like, oh, I had a great conversation with them or whatever. They're literally doing the exact same thing. They're just on the other end of it. Yeah, yeah. So, see what I'm saying? So, yeah, like, yeah. they feel like it was a great exactly conversation. Exactly right. You know, so Fred or Fred, whoever's the one who yeah. had the great conversation, yeah. is yeah. the person talking about themselves the whole time. It's the yeah. same exact thing. Yeah, She's, totally. They're just falling for it on themselves, kind yeah. of thing, you know? The thing it doesn't show is like the person that talked about themselves yeah. is not liked. Yeah. So, Jim, yep. like, Fred mm-hmm. thinks it's a great conversation. Jim thinks it's a great conversation because he talked all the time. Mm-hmm. Fred's more pissed than he was at the beginning of the conversation. Yep. yep. Ask him why. Well, he just wouldn't shut the hell up. Wouldn't shut up. Yeah. Doesn't listen to me. Doesn't listen. Didn't respect me. Doesn't understand. So there you go. Man, just <laughs> this such a key component. Big deal. It's a big deal for sure. Listen up, people. Listen up. First all question. Right. How do you show empathy? It's obvious what it looks like, but how do you ingrain it into a relationship with, say, your wife? My wife struggles with high anxiety and shuts down when faced with adversity. I was raised under tough love, and as I've become an adult, I have three elementary kids of my own. I completely prescribe that when needed as well as it just being part of my character. Just this morning, my wife walks into our house. I'm remodeling. No crew, just me for the last 14 months. And I can see the weight all over her through her tone of voice her body language, her response, everything. So I ask her flat out, what's up? Why does it seem like there's a cloud of stress and anxiety over you? She starts explaining what's going on. And I say, you gotta change your thinking and pull your mind out of this pit. She shuts down, walks out saying, thanks for doing literally nothing to help me. I need some empathy with her and potentially in general, but I don't know how to empathize with someone so negative. She, she asked me persistently what she needs to do, and it's literally doing the opposite of the harmful negativity she's thinking about. To me, it's easy. To her, it's not. Bottom line, empathy, how do you do it? Yeah, check. I mean, first of all, like, like let's make sure that we're that she's not like in a really bad place of like depression or something like this. Um, where she might need some like legitimate professional help. Um, that being said, this, I'm glad we opened up with the, the opening that I did because probably what she needs is for you to exercise that tool that we just talked about is listening to her. Listening to her. The, she, there's a decent chance that she just wants to vent. There's a really good chance that even though she's asking you for solutions, that's one of the last things she actually wants. So, what I want you to make your goal is not to give her a solution, but to help her find a solution herself. And the way that you do that is by asking truly earnest questions. That's what you do. You know, when she says, I can't believe this thing is happening, you don't say, well, this is what you should do. You said, oh, well, what is it that bothers you about it? And then she explains that. And you say, well, where do you think those, what do you think is making you so frustrated? And then she explains that. And you say, how long have you felt frustrated? And then she explains that. And you said, well, what was it in the beginning that, and then she explains that. And as she's answering these questions for you, she is painting a more solid picture of the situation that she's in. And eventually she realizes, oh, here's a solution. Here's a move I can make. Here's a direction I can go in that's going to move me towards a better scenario. So that's what we're going to try and do, man. Just first of all, make sure she's not like having like legitimate depression. But 
And it sounds like, you know, look, she's having a hard day. She, you know, she's got the cloud. There's all kinds of things that can give a mom of three a cloud. The kids aren't happy. The kids are mad. The kids did this. The, you know, other moms at school said, whatever. There's a bunch of things. The house isn't done yet. 14 months, bro. You've been working on a house for 14 months. I'm pissed. I'm pissed. And of course, you don't think that. You think I've been busting my ass for 14 months. Every, you know, I don't get to rest. I don't come home. Work's not over when I get home. I have to get the tile laid, right? Well, she's looking at you when you're laying tile goes, what is taking you so long to lay this tile? So yeah, she got issues, bro. 14 months, a long time. So let's pull the thread. Let's ask really earnest questions. Again, these are not questions that are setups. These are not leading questions. These are legitimately earnest questions from your soul about the situation that she's in. Be careful of the interrogation thing. We're not turning this into interrogation. These aren't leading questions. These aren't inter- interrogation questions. Why is it that it bothers you? No. Okay. It's like, oh, well, when did that start? You're asking legitimate questions, earnest questions. So that the goal, like I said, is that she can find a solution. She can, she can, instead of you saying it's easy, do this and do that, no one wants to hear that. She's already pissed that the freaking tile isn't done. <laughs> now you're telling her how to solve these problems, which you don't truly understand, because how can you? Because you're not in her shoes. You don't accept that. Ask her earnest questions. She will find the answer. She will find the solution, and you'll move this thing forward. That's what I got. <clears throat> That grout in there. Get that grout in them tiles, boy. Uh, you make such a good point, Brad, that with that, like, um, you're from your his perspective, you know, he sees this and feels this. And then from her perspective, you know, she could be looking at, you know, the literally the exact opposite, yeah. you know. So, man, that that I know this because I forget that from time to time. You know, here's a good scenario. <laughs> Two scenarios with my wife. Right. Mm-hmm. One time we, you know, we were I was in the Navy. I'm, you know, I'm at my house and. She, we, we had our yard was sloping and I had a plan to put in a, like a five foot retaining wall mm-hmm. at one end of the yard, fill it in with dirt and then make our backyard instead of the sloping kind of little, it was usable, but a little bit, you know, you mm-hmm. can't really kick a soccer ball around it. Yeah, yeah. So I figured I would build this retaining wall, like a five foot retaining wall and then backfill it and then put soil in there and then put sod on it. We have a, a nice little backyard, mm-hmm. right? So one day it's like, I got done with jujitsu or whatever. This project hasn't started yet. Sure. And I get done with jujitsu or whatever. You know, we actually, I think, well, no, we had kids at the time. So I, you know, woke up, worked out, hung out with the kids, went to jujitsu, trained jujitsu, come home. Actually, I was going to college at this point. Mm-hmm. And my wife's like, so now it's like, one o'clock in the afternoon or something, ate lunch. And my wife's like, why don't you get started on that retaining wall? <laughs> I mean, this is like, this is like a huge project, yeah. right? And she's like, why don't you get started on that retaining wall back there so we can have a nice yard? And I'm like, dude. <laughs> I, You know, so I was just like, hey babe, like this is a major project I need. I need a concrete mixer at the house. Mm-hmm. I need, you know, I'm probably gonna be have a backhoe over here mm-hmm. to move, to dig out a foundation. I need rebar. <laughs> mm-hmm. I kind of listened and she was like, oh, okay. 
But in her mind, it was like, hey, you, just do, you know, you already did your homework or whatever. Like, Let's get started on this retaining wall. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then here's the funny thing is a little while later, I, I there was some other project. You know, this is back in the day, dude. You got projects on the house. I mean, I, my, my house, every house I moved into, mm-hmm. every house I've ever bought except for one was like a project mm-hmm. out of the gate, bro. Mm-hmm. I'm talking project. Yeah. But there was another time where... I, there was a smaller project that needed to get done, you know, probably some electrical wiring or something like this. Mm-hmm. And I figured, and so it was like almost the exact same scenario. Came home, like whatever, and this was gonna take, this was like a a two hour project, double the time, because you're working on an old house, you never know what you're gonna find when you open up the freaking walls, right? Mm. So I'm like, okay, four hours, I can be done by dinner, whatever, so I'm, you know, I look at my wife and say, I'm gonna go get started on this thing. And she and we, we give this quote to each other back and forth all the time. She goes, isn't it a bit late in the day to get started? <laughs> and so again, in her mind, she was like, well, you know, she probably had something else that she wanted us to do or whatever. Mm-hmm. So she was trying to steer me in the other direction. Mm-hmm. I'm like, isn't it a bit late in the day? So this is something we say to each other all the time now. Like, oh, isn't it a bit late in the day to get started with that? <laughs> but to your point, from her perspective, these things were, these things were just totally different from my perspective. Mm-hmm. Her perspective is, can't you know, you got three hours, why don't you build a retaining wall? <laughs> <laughs> yep, tell you. And, well, you only have four hours, let's just go, you know, play with the kids. Yeah. Well, I'm not gonna have another four hour window for another week, so let's get it done now. Mm-hmm. But her perspective, totally different than mine. Mm-hmm. And I had to take a step back, detach, and be like, well, hey, babe, for this one, this electrical stuff, first of all, there's a little bit of a, of a threat here. Mm. Like we have flickering lights. Yeah. That's not a good sign with electrical. I need to get in there before we have our fire and our house burn, burns down. Mm. And it's only a two hour project. I've set aside four hours. I can make this happen. Mm-hmm. She's like, oh, okay. Yep. So the perspective of her, very different. Yep. A bit late in the day. Yeah. So there you go. Next question. I've been listening to the podcast for a long time now and you fre- frequently bring up ego and how it's bad it's bad to have one. My question is, can having an ego in some cases be a good thing? Is ego really all bad or can it be an asset? Thank you so much for all you do. I mean, this is why we wrote the dichotomy of leadership. Um, almost every time we talk about ego, I should probably, should re, re, let me phrase that. At least 30% of the time when we talk about ego, we talk about the dichotomy and the fact that, yes, we say ego is bad when ego gets out of control. Having no ego is equally bad because now you have no confidence, now you're not driven. I mean, ego is a very positive force in many cases. Ego can help your confidence. Ego can drive you to do well. It can give you pride in your work. That's a very positive thing. It can give you pride in your personal appearance. It can give you pride in your personal fitness, right? Like. There's, you definitely, a lot of people work out and eat healthy because they wanna be healthy, but there's also an ego element to it. They wanna be jacked, they wanna be fit, they wanna look fit, that's an ego thing. So yes, you are correct. Ego can very often, a, a certain level of ego is a positive thing. The problem comes when it gets out of hand, which it can easily do. Um, the reason that we talk about ego a lot and ego being negative is because we, 
spend a lot of time talking to people in leadership positions. People in leadership positions got in those leadership positions because they did well, they performed well. That increases their confidence, then they get promoted again. Same thing with the, being in the SEAL teams. Like you're in a leadership position in the SEAL teams, you were confident, then you did well, then you, then you got promoted, then you did well again. So all these things encourage you to be even more confident. You made it through the toughest training. All those things encourage you to be more confident. And it doesn't take long before that tips over and becomes overconfidence, ego, arrogance. Uh, I've, talk, I've told a story about going to work with some gifted, very intelligent inner city kids and how when I went in there, I was gonna to talk to them about how their ego getting in trouble, but as soon as I looked at these kids, I could see that they actually, all, all of them lacked confidence. Maybe one or two of them didn't, but most of them, you know, looking down at the floor, they were in a bad area, but they were really smart. They were, you know, getting bullied for being, you know, good students. They, they, they all lacked confidence. So instead of me talking about how ego is a problem, I talked about how important it was to have confidence. Mm. Sometimes you'd get like a junior SEAL officer that, just didn't think he should really be there and he just lacked confidence and you'd have to help him increase his ego. Like, dude, you got this, you can do this. You, man, you may, you, you've been in a leadership position, that's what this is for. So ultimately, that's what I'm saying. Um, you're right, well, I don't know if you said this. You asked the question, can having an ego in some pieces be a good? Yes, you need ego. I've, I have ego, Echo has ego. We all have, e- well, you should have a healthy amount of ego. Just don't get, let it get out of control. That's it. Pretty straightforward. All the talk about ego, like with you, kind of it created this like image in my head of this ego, which is this driver, right? Mm-hmm. So now it kind of morphed into the, the, in the spirit of understanding, there's like ego, right? In and of itself. Then you have healthy ego. Mm-hmm. Then you have big ego. Which is like, uh, I don't know, who comes to mind is like a Donald Trump type scenario where it's like, it's, it's real obvious. And then you have fragile ego. So you have inflated ego, mm-hmm. sorry, inflated ego, which is and which leads to fragile mm-hmm. ego, right? So it can be big, inflated and fragile. You know, the kind of guy who just like will do petty stuff, lose yep. their temper super easy or whatever. But then big ego can be like, you can tell like this person's really into them, mm-hmm. themselves as far as like their presentation, not to say that they treat others bad or nothing like that, but you know, those kind of guys who roll around and they're like, yeah. Just in the spirit of what you're saying, we could probably and probably should do just an entire breakdown of these various ego archetypes that come out. Yeah. uh, Because there's a bunch of them, you know? We know all these different people. And Mm. you know, some people are concerned about their appearance. Their ego drives them to, you know, be on a freaking perfect diet so they can have this level of body. Other people are just want to, you know, get that promotion. The title is important. Like there's all these things. Yep. We can do all these things. Yeah. So, yeah. So like the rock, the rock, Dwayne Johnson, DJ, mm-hmm. as we know him to be, he comes off and he, he comes off as like a big yet healthy ego because yeah, he seems yeah, super positive yeah, yeah. and whatever. He doesn't seem like, oh yeah, if he takes some criticism, he'll, be, he'll just lose it or nothing yeah, like no. that, right? So big yet healthy ego. Mm-hmm. You know, then you get, you know, and it's more of a negative thing, so I'm not going to bring anyone specific, but a big inflated fragile ego is someone who you can tell like they only, they look out for themselves. They go negative a lot as far as like their expression and stuff like right. that and they lose their temper super easy. You know, like everything hurts their feelings. Mm-hmm. You know, how dare you say that to me kind of an attitude, yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah. That's how it comes off to me. Yeah. Ego's a killer, man. Keep it under control. That's all we're saying. 
By the way, we've written a bunch of books about that. Dichotomy and Leadership, Extreme Ownership, Leadership Strategy and Tactics. Check them out. There you go. All right, next question. Good evening. I have a question about applying indirect leadership in time-sensitive situations. I'm an advanced care paramedic on an ambulance and the leader of a small team of two. My question is the indirect method of leadership the, the right thing to do when decisions need to be made rapidly to increase the outcomes of survival for our patients? My specific example is when we had a patient that had multiple stab wounds. I know that certain tasks need to be done and done in certain order, and me and my partner need to divide tasks to make sure things are done efficiently as possible, and certain tasks can only be performed by the ALS member, different scopes of care. I would, delegate, I would delegate, delegate my partner to expose the injury sites to stop the bleeding using hemostatic dressing and place an IV while I'm giving advanced life support medications and managing the overall scene and looking at the big picture when things need to get done in these time sensitive situations isn't the direct approach the most appropriate thing correct me if I'm wrong what would be the appropriate indirect method in these situations keep in mind I don't always work with the same partner so drilling on these tasks so we don't even need to verbalize what needs to be done is not always an option yeah yeah you are correct um, I don't need to correct you because you're not wrong. There are many times, well, there are times, many times in dynamic, fast-moving, or high-stress situations where direct, you got to make a direct call, and that's what happens. Um, and you know what's interesting is, uh, you know, when you go through like a CPR class, they teach you, you know, you point at a specific person, you say, you, go call 911, right? Yeah. You've been through that CPR class? Yeah. That's also ownership. It's also giving ownership to someone. Mm-hmm. But that's what you're doing. You're you're giving direction, direct orders to make things happen. In combat, it can happen. Where you you know, you say, Hey, move to the next building now. Like that can happen. Hey, return to my position now. That can happen. So, yes, you are correct. Um picture this though. If you're in an administrative situation, like you're well, like let's say Echo, you and I are in a meeting and and I'm talking. And I look at you and I go, Echo, take notes now, right? Mm-hmm. Even if I said it in a more normal tone, like Echo, take notes now, mm-hmm. or like Echo, take notes, like any of those things, mm-hmm. we're in a meeting. Yeah, that's probably not a great option, right? Yeah. It'd be better, like you know, hey, Echo, you think we should like, you think we should take down some of this information? And you'd probably be like, well, yeah. And I'd be like, well, I'm gonna be putting out word. Do you do you think could you take notes? And you'd be like, yeah, I got it. You know what I mean? Yep. In fact, as soon as I said. If I was putting out word mm. and I said, hey, do you think we should take this stuff down? You'd be like, yeah, yeah, let me take, let me take notes. Mm. Just a little indirect approach. Mm. Now, that, and then you go from there, you go all the way to like planning and instead of me imposing stuff, that's, that's, what, that's what we're gonna do. So what's the rule? You know, and all rules are made to be broken, but generally speaking, if I have the time to go indirect, I'm going to. If I have the time to use the indirect method, I'm going to. To your point that you already uh, preempted, if I have time to build relationships so people know me and they know that I'll listen and discuss when we have time, that's great. And also to your point that you already, like I said, you preemptively canceled this idea of, hey, if, if we work together all the time, then we can get roles and responsibilities down, we can make those things clear, we can, Make sure that everyone understands what their job is, and then you don't have to say anything. And and that's where you you know that's obviously where you want to get to. But if like in the situation that you're in, sometimes 
or you're, you're working with a, a new batch every day and you're the senior guy and there's two people and you know what to do and they don't, you tell them what to do. So totally good to go, man. I will try and uh, make that more clear when I talk about the indirect approach. I mean, I usually say there's times where you need to go direct. I usually talk about the fact of that even in indirect situations, you have to escalate the directness. But the rule that I will now try and remember to put out is if you have time, go direct. Or sorry, if you have time, go indirect. If you don't have time, go direct. Be simple, clear, concise. In fact, the book Extreme Ownership, when we talk about communication, simple, clear, concise, that is talking about times when you need to be direct in the direction that you're giving. So there you go. That's what I got, man. Good job. Thanks for your service out there on the front lines, helping people stay alive. You you mentioned uh, kind of in that example, like take notes, right? Mm-hmm. And when you're like, oh, can you take some notes or whatever? That's the example. Yeah, yeah, so, oh, yeah, yeah okay. uh, so I'm kind of in a way going to ask you for some therapy right mm-hmm. now. I mean, I'm a question of my own, okay. so bear with me. Okay, so when people, let's say it's that, it's literally that scenario. Mm-hmm. Uh, but instead of take notes, they say take pictures. So like it, it's like, and then again, it's not literally, but like, let's say we're at a party or yep. something and something's going on. And yep. then like, I don't know, Sarah or so, anytime mm-hmm. someone's like, Hey, Hey, can you take pictures? Mm-hmm. I don't like it. Mm-hmm. Like I really don't like it. How about when we were doing jujitsu the other day and I was about to have a round with Keenan Cornelius and I walked over and handed you my camera Yep, and here's, said, film this. Here's the thing. And that's a good question. Uh-huh. Under normal circumstances, yeah, I would be mad. But you pretty much in it, because this is what, this is like. This is kind of our jam. <laughs> this is our jam. Exactly, exactly This right. is what we do. I feel like that's literally, literally like, even in jujitsu, that's one of the reasons I'm here. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it be to, to yeah. film, take fucking So if you're with me, you're kind of on the job. Yep. yep. In that way, yeah, yep. for sure. Yep. Makes sense. Um, so it's literally the opposite. In fact, I'm like, hell yeah, freaking watch me work. Like, I'm going to be freaking getting into it for sure. But I'm talking about like where I don't know, freaking, yeah, 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 you know, it's it. almost like, hey, take pictures. Yeah, yeah. Like, Do they say it like that? I don't know. That, and actually, no. Sometimes they're like, oh, can you take pictures? It's they're like, hand me the camera. Uh, so how would you tell me, let's say you weren't you and whatever, but like how would you tell me that in an indirect way? I so, just want to see if it's like... I even know your answer right now, but I'm trying to find out in a, on a feelings level, like, is this just me just having some secret? Yeah, like you have a little bit of uh, pent up sort of paranoia about being tasked with things, which is actually an over overarching sort of personality <laughs> trait that you have. You don't like to have to do things. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You don't like being pinned down, but, uh-huh. but, it, because the reason I say that is because you're hypersensitive. Because you said, "Well, is she going to say it like that?" Because even if, even if you know your wife, which is this your wife that you would actually uh, no, not be I, happy about? Well, she has before, yeah. For Were sure. you not happy but about it? I was not happy about it. I did it, and no one ever. She would never. I don't yeah, think she'll she listen to this, yeah, so yeah. she'll never know <laughs> that I'm gamble. not happy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I don't like. So it. you're yes. that's like a little personal pet peeve. This is a hundred percent on you. I think so. It's huh? a little personal pet peeve. That's a hundred percent on you. You have a little annoyance by it, and yeah. then it gets exacerbated because it happens probably pretty often because you take good pictures. So people are like, "Oh, Echo's here. Hey, will you take a picture?" And it makes you frustrated. That's that's on you. Hey, um, I, now, I, look, 
other people like the the because what I'm thinking is the softest, most indirect way that I could ask you mm-hmm. is still going to make you frustrated because you don't want to do it. So let me actually let me clarify it a little bit, like be specific. So let me tell you what it's not. So when when someone's like, let's say we're at the muster, for example, uh-huh. and and they're like, oh, Echo, can you take the picture? Yeah. I, that is of way course. different. You're at the muster and you're working though. No, and even in real life, like or not working, if someone's like, hey, can you take the picture? You mm-hmm. know, it's not that. This is what, and I'm searching my feelings right now, and this is really, <sighs> this is. Really, <laughs> Uh, well, hold on, I'm gonna search my feelings. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> follow me, follow me, follow me. So it's more like this. If you like hand me a camera and be like, hey, you take, here, can you take some pictures, right? Mm-hmm. It's like you, it's like I was, um, a task was bestowed upon me that now there's expectations. Kind of like, hey, if you didn't take enough, if you didn't take good ones, mm-hmm. you know, like now I can kind of let these people down who told me to just all of a sudden start taking pictures. So you're, you know? you're really reading into this. Yes. <laughs> yes, I am. And then, you know, and then like, I don't like want so that not, stress. Not only you being assigned work, which you don't like, you're also yep. being judged, which you don't like. Yeah, I'll evaluate <laughs> on a job I didn't ask for it. You know, that was yeah. imposed on me. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? And actually, to be honest, that is the feeling. You know, and part, part of this is ego because you want to do a good job. You yeah, want, that's like that. This is strange, right? That your ego wants to take good pictures. And I see you when somebody does ask you to take pictures, you always get your little angle going, oh, you're yeah. checking settings <laughs> and all this stuff. So yeah, uh, it's it's you. You're just being. You're just. You just need to. You need to. You need to take ownership of the fact that you are a little bit of a baby when people ask you to take pictures. That's what you need to do. Fuck, I think you're. There's your counselor. Yeah, and then, and by the way, what I just gave you was direct feedback. Yeah, and you're one of the few people on the planet that I can tell something directly to, where you'll be like, "Oh yeah, that makes sense," as opposed to being like, "Well, no, actually," because you're because you and I know each other well. We freaking sit in this stupid room, freaking for hundreds and hundreds of hours, and so you kind of know what I'm thinking. You kind of know what my intent is. Yeah. You know, you know my true intent is like legitimately without questions just to just to help. I mean, yeah. There's no underlying. I'm not trying to trick you. Yeah. And so that's why I'm giving you like really direct feedback of like, yeah, you know, that's just kind of on you. Yeah. Uh, because I feel like even the most indirect method of asking, you would be pissed. You would still, not pissed, but you'd be still have that little level of annoyance. You, you have no idea how correct you are because <laughs> even when I asked it, when I asked you like, so two things, first off, when I asked you and I was like, I wonder what, how Jocko would, cause you said the taking notes thing, yeah, yeah. right? You did it in like a little example on, on how you think. And I was thinking like, what if he was asking me or not him, but like someone was asking me to take pictures, like really in my mind, there's no method yep. they could use that That's, wouldn't piss me off. Yep. Like, Brad, don't impose this job that I got to do a good job now all of a sudden on me all of a sudden. Brad, no one asked for that, you know, kind of a thing. And so, Brad, you're right. You're absolutely right. Like, it, I, there's no winning with it. That's A. B, right when, like, I started to say the question to you, like, how, I already knew the answer. Just like the paperwork. You're going to be like, Brad, just take the pictures and do the best you can kind yeah. of a thing. Like, that's kind of on you, you know, kind of a thing. And then kind of the pet, going back to the original pet peeves things, which really helped me, by the way. This is a long time ago. You said, yeah, pet peeves are stupid. Yeah. 
I was like, oh, interesting. Yep. That's Pet simple, huh? Pet are your fault. It's, yeah, because it's kind of like you're committing to something bothering you. It's mm-hmm. like you made a commitment for something to bother you because it's your personal thing. Yep. You know, kind of thing. That's, that's the impression. I don't I know if this came before or after as a firm, but when Charlie Plum told me that thing about your cellmates annoying you and it being your fault, I was like, that's a pet peeve, right? Ooh. My pet peeve is, you know, echo picking his nose mm-hmm. and it drives me crazy. And, and Charlie Plum's like, hey, if your cellmate is driving you crazy, with some habit that they have, it's your fault. And I was yeah, like, that's okay, a that's a pet peeve, and pet peeves are junk. Yeah. Don't let it happen. Yeah. All right, next question. I work in a privately owned company of about 500 employees. This company is family owned, and a lot of people in leadership positions that have been with the company for decades. They hired in some outside leaders for their expertise and, and to resolve some issues. There's discord among some of the legacy senior leaders and the outside senior leaders from from the supervisor level down. We have all agreed to work as a team. We look out for each other and we get the job done and we get it done well. But we all see the disagreement happening at the higher ranks. What, if anything, can we do to mitigate the lack of teamwork among our leaders? Is there any way we can influence them at all so that we can all move forward together as a team? Yeah, that's, you know, always, this is always a challenge. Always when you bring in, you have family business, that's a challenging thing. You have merging of cultures, that's because you have new people coming in, that's a challenging, there's a bunch of challenges here. Uh, For this specific question, one of the things that I, one of the tools that I would use is asking for clear guidance in the form of documentation of what we're doing. So when I go to my boss and say, hey boss, I want to talk to the team this afternoon and I, you know, I've got a couple meetings this week and I really want to tell them what the company mission is. Can we get, can I get the company mission? Can you, can you give that to me in a written form so that I can distribute it? Oh yeah, and I also, you know, the following week I'm also doing a, I want to give them our, our strategy. What our company strategies? I want them all to be on board. Can you can you get that to me? Can you can that get blessed by the leadership team? And you know, and, and also you know, the final thing is I, I want to give a priorities meeting so everyone knows what our focus is. Can can we get like a document that has our mission, has our strategies, and has our priorities can, that I can disseminate to my troops? And what you're doing is you are in a p- totally positive way. You're f- kind of forcing the leadership to get aligned and put it in the documentation. That can't be ignored. What's good about this is it, it, it crystallizes the team, and there's gonna it crystallize. There's gonna be some like rough, little, some rough uh, waters to get through mm. because the old people are like no, we need to keep uh, keep our prices as high as we can, and the new people are like no, we need to be more competitive, and they're having this. And but when you sit them down, because when when it's not on paper. Depending on what day it is and who you're talking to, you're gonna get different guidance. No, we're gonna lower our prices. No, we're gonna keep our prices high. You're getting different guidance. So when you say, hey, can we get a unified document that has this information on them? Then you can start to move forward based on that written direction. And if you happen to get a command that's counter to that, counter to what the documents say, you can at least raise it and say, well, hold on a second. You, we just got the strategic document. It says our, our, we're trying to maintain the price point that we have, and you're telling me to cut prices. What, what, what are we doing? Mm-hmm. You see, so it gives you a legitimate way to, to push back just by asking earnest questions. So that's a, that's a good thing to think about. On top of that, think about the ladder of alignment, right? You, everyone 
at your company. I don't even know what your company does, right? It's a privately owned company. I don't know what they do, but guess what? Everyone at the team, everyone at the company, regardless if they're new or old or old management or new management, they should all want to make a good product. They should all want to take care of the customers. They should all want to take care of the team. That's universal for any company. You tell me a company and I can guarantee you they want to make a good product. They want to take care of the customer. They want to take care of the team. Oh, one other, they want to make money. If you're not making money, you're going out of business. If you're not taking care of the customer, you're going out of business. If you're not taking care of the team, your team leaves, you're going out of business. If you're making a crappy product, people stop buying it, you're going out of business. So everyone should be aligned on those things. And if those are the things that we're trying to do, then, then we're aligned. And if we can, and, and with all those things, they all make the company do well. Look, strategically. You might make, hey, we're just gonna make a cheap product right now and sell it and we'll make more money. Okay, cool, it's good, you get a little short-term win, but over the long run, guess what? You're gonna lose. You might be able to cut everyone's salary and you might have a good quarter as far as profitability goes. In the long term, they are gonna leave. You might be able to rip off the cut. So you see what I'm saying? If, if people have are aligned on these major things, which they need to be, then every the old management and the new management, they're all gonna win because the company's doing better. Now, can you get someone that's just not aligned? Yes, you can. You could have that one person on the old management team that knows that if a new manager comes in, they might get pushed out, and so they're trying to make them look bad. That can happen. Mm. So we gotta watch out for that. Earnest questions and making people put down on paper what the strategy is and what we're trying to do is can start to get control and reveal those people or those situations. So those are two good things to think about. The other thing is this is a campaign. It's not It's not a single battle. You're not gonna change everyone's attitude tomorrow. It's gonna take a while. You have to be patient. You have to listen. You have to ask earnest questions on both sides. You have to document what these strategies, what these priorities are. It's a tough situation. And situations like this are always tough, but certainly you can win and you can get everyone aligned over time. So there you go. All right, we got one more. One more question. It's true. uh, I'm a 50-year-old surgeon and at the top of my game. Boom. I could retire now financially and I've buttoned up all my finances in kids' college is all squared away. I feel grateful to be able to help people, but... I know at some point I need to prioritize myself. Looking forward, I've been struggling with finding an endpoint where I should shift gears to a different lifestyle, finding a new purpose, and de- detaching my identity from my profession. I really don't want to be in my 60s and 70s still doing the same thing and overstaying my welcome like I see a lot of older doctors doing. I notice that retirement or losing one's identity surprises people at that age and they don't know what to do with themselves. Maybe this is a consequence of the profession. I'm curious, with all your success, what plans do you have in your 60s and 70s? And what's your end point? Hearing your thoughts may help me develop a frame of mind. Um, when I'm 60 or 70, what am I going to be doing? I'm going to be surfing. I'm going to be doing jujitsu. I'm going to be reading, writing. I'm going to be speaking. I'm going to be playing guitar. I'm going to be working out. I'm going to be creating products that I like. I'm gonna be, that's what I'm going to be doing. I'm going to be doing less travel. I can tell you that. I don't like to travel. Uh, as B.B. King said, I get I get paid to travel and I play for free. That's kind of like me, you know? Sure. I get on the road, no problem, oh, yeah. because 
I get paid to go on the road, but I go up and speak and talk and teach for free. Uh, but that's what I'm going to do. Um, now, I, I will say this. At some point, like as a surgeon, you're going to start getting worse at being a surgeon. Just like at some point, I'm not going to be able to you know, remember things. I'm not going to be able to speak as well. So I'm not going to go out there and continue to like get up there and do what I'm doing if, I'm, if I can't maintain the standard. If I still have something to offer, I'll keep doing it. You know, as a surgeon, at some point, you're going to get too old to perform that job. So, cool. Um, you know, I will say this, like, when I'm 60, 70, even now, I focus, and I'm continuing to focus more on health and fitness because when you're younger, you can go eat a pizza, eat freaking Kentucky Fried Chicken, uh, not work out for a week and a half, and you can go knock out a 10-mile run. It's no factor. When you're 50, that doesn't, that's not as easy. And if you look up after a month of doing that, which I've never done that before, but if you went, if you go, that's what happens, I think, to a lot of people. They're, when, they turn, when they get older, they used to go out, oh, you know, I didn't work out for three weeks, whatever. You know, you were drinking, you were having a good time, you met some girl, like all this stuff happens. You're on a trip. You didn't work out for three weeks. You get back three days later, you're like the same, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like literally no factor. Mm-hmm. If you try that when you're 49, don't work out for three weeks when you're 49, you're going you're gonna to feel it. Your body will change. Mm-hmm. So you got to focus more. So I would say as I get older, I will pay more attention. That's why I was like, oh, what am I doing? I'm surfing jujitsu. That's what I'm going to be doing. Working out, yes. Because I think you got to stay, you got you to fight harder as you get older. You got to get more in the game as you get older when it comes to health and fitness. So I would say like you're a doctor. As you get older, you're 50 years old right now. Right now, you might be working, you know, let's say you're just working 40 hours a week. Well, you're at the top of your game. I might go down to 30 hours a week and start figuring out what can I do in those 10 hours that's going to make me more healthy, more fit, and better from a health and fitness standpoint, which includes learning to play guitar because you want to keep your brain active. You, want to, you don't want the Alzheimer's to set in. You want to keep learning new things. So... I would probably cut back on work so you could work, so you can do, so you can be better. And you have to focus more on that. Like, let's face it, when you are in your residency and you are working 97 hours a day, (laughs) right? You still, you'd like wake up on the whatever day off and you still went for a run and you were fine. You do that now, you'd you'd be going to junk. So let's, I would start to taper. Right, I would start to taper what I'm doing if I were you. And if you love being a surgeon, cool, keep being a surgeon. But you said you don't wanna be doing this when you're 60s and 70s, cool, I would start to taper now. I would start to taper now and start figuring out what other kind of things I, am I into? What can I, what can I get into that's gonna help my health and fitness? What am I gonna do right now that's going to help me continue to be able to do what I wanna do? And then what is my next mission gonna be? Cause you're right, you don't wanna get out and you're, you used to be, you know, Dr. Smith, and now you're just Jim, and you're like, you go to the freaking country club, and instead of people going, hi, Dr. Smith, with all that respect, they're like, what's up, Jim? Mm-hmm. So, and if that hurts you, you know, you don't feel like it's worthwhile. That happens all the time to people from the military. They get out, 
They used to be a they used to be a sergeant major. They used to be a master chief. They used to be a commander. Mm-hmm. They get out and they're like, "Oh, Fred." <laughs> it's like all of a sudden they didn't get that respect that they earned. Mm-hmm. So watch out for that. You don't want your you don't want your profession to be your identity, and so you got to figure out what your next mission is going to be. And here's the thing about your next mission. Yes, you want to to use your words, make it about you and focus on yourself. At the same time, don't make it all about you, man. Don't just be like, okay, now it's me time because that's hollow. You want to figure out how you're going to help others. You want to figure out how you can give back. You want to figure out how you can give more to your family. Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's training other doctors. Maybe it's teaching other doctors. Maybe it's teaching people how to take care of themselves. Pass on what you can. And, and that is a great way to go into that next phase of your life from my perspective. That's why when I talk about reading and writing and speaking even years from now, it's because oh, I'm still gonna wanna try and help people out if I can. Because if I'm just looking at me, I'm, uh, to me that's not, that's, that's not a good place to focus. Focus on it enough that you're in good shape, but don't focus on it enough that you're not trying to help other people. Because that's where I think things, that's where I think you'll end up uh, not really having the drive and the gratification from life. So that's what I got. Echo Charles? <clears throat> yeah, kind of what mine's like way more simple, where it's like, yeah, I don't want to um, be doing this at 60, 70. I would figure out what do I want to be doing at 60 or 70 and then just boop, just. Just get there. Just follow it. Yeah, yeah. Follow the path there yeah. to that. But wait, you don't want to be doing this? Oh, we're you're, talking oh you're asking me specifically yeah, yeah. about me. What am I going to do 60 and 70? Holy cow. Oh, you think I, you still be able to press record? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> hey, man, if you have me at 60 years old yeah. or over here doing this thing, hey, that's cool. This is great. Bro, I got me. friends that are 60, bro. Yeah. Like, that's not that. That seems like it used yeah. to seem crazy, yeah. but I have to say it because yeah. I got friends that are 60. Yeah. I got friends that are 60. That's kind of crazy. Well, yeah. Well, my current age, I thought a while ago, I was like, oh, that is old school. Yeah. But I'm like currently there. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but here's the thing too, though. And this is Let kind me of ask a, you this. You remember when your dad was 40? Yeah. Right. How I old are you? 44? 45. Okay. You're 45. Yeah. Remember when your dad was 45? Yeah, I do. This is a one of those questions. You can't figure out what your bias is. Are you, yes or no, younger at 45 than he was. Wait, what do you mean? Do I feel younger? Do like, you feel younger? I, I feel way younger, yeah. way less mature, like way, even though like <laughs> I'm way more mature <laughs> in every single way probably, <laughs> but I feel yeah. like how I saw him at 44, 45 mm-hmm. was um, like, I, he, I, it's like he had the world kind of like figured out, you yeah. know, kind of a thing. Do you think, so was he cool when he was 45? Yeah. I thought so, yeah. You thought your own dad was cool yeah, when you were 45. Yeah. I remember I was, like, I was looking at my dad when he was 45, like, <laughs> no, yeah. like this dude don't know what's up. You yeah. know what I mean? And that's not reflective of all 45-year-olds, how yeah. I felt, but yeah. The I BC had it going he on. He was kind of a cool guy. That's why like, a lot of people yeah. liked him and stuff. He was like, but as far as age goes, though, yeah. that's like he's old school. You know, if yeah. he would do something like immature or something, I'd be like, oh, that's immature for mm-hmm. him, you know, kind of a thing. But yeah, so... But I'd still do this kind of stuff. You know, like, in my mind, I think my kids, like, 
they must look at me like, oh yeah, dude, you know, my dad knows what's up. Yep. They're like, dude, you're a freaking ancient. <laughs> you know, you're a, you know, like music or whatever. Yeah. And they just look at me, you know, or I'll like use some of their words. Yeah. Well. <laughs> and my one daughter, Rana, like she makes up like crazy funny stuff all yeah, the time. Yep, she does. That's like, that becomes part of the, her lingo and it becomes part of her friend's lingo and it becomes yeah. part of the family lingo. But even that is coming from my own daughter. I can't like adopt it because I'm too old. Yes. They're, they're right about that. By Dude, the way. I got to play this thing for you. It's like this. We were, uh, my oldest daughter was like heading home from jujitsu and she sent like a family group text, like just got done training. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so then Rana, who makes up words and stuff, she just like left this noise on the thing, <laughs> this like voice recording. And I, I'm not gonna do it right now because it would be sound so bizarre, but she did it. I like listened to it and then I did it and then mm-hmm. I then my wife did it, then my youngest daughter did it. So we were all just making this like funny noise. But what she was she was actually saying a word, but you yeah. couldn't you couldn't have made it out yeah. until she typed it and it's like, Oh, that's what she's saying. And so then Yeah, so did you could you like could you determine like what she was saying? No, no. She said it like this this funny noise and it was just funny. Right. And then I did it. And then she wrote what she had said. Okay. And I was like, oh, that's, that's what she said. Right, right. And then it kind of made even made more sense. fun. It made it even more funny. But did it make sense? It made sense. Yeah. Yeah, it made sense. Yeah, some people in Rana have kind of like, the more I kind of am around her, the more I'm like realizing, oh, she's kind of a clever one with this. Because like mm. her, and you find people like this where they'll do all this weird quirky stuff and you think they're just a bubbly person or whatever, but there's like there's some genius behind <laughs> these little <laughs> silly jokes or whatever. And yeah, yeah, that's funny. Yeah. The um actually my kids are But are, my kids, even stuff that my own daughter creates. If I try and do it, they're like, dude, yeah, what, yeah. don't know, do it. Just don't like you're you're old. Yeah. If I say the word sus. To my daughter would be like, hey, don't don't say that. You sound dumb. Yeah. But for the most part, they're too young to find me dumb yet. They're not quite there. They're not. But the, even yeah. sus, she knows that you saying sus doesn't match. Yeah. Is sus. <laughs> <laughs> sus. So but, there yeah. you go. Uh, but, man, go out and have a good time. Yeah. The, Take it, care of your health for sure. He makes a good point, and w- which you kind of like. Kind of, kind of talked about in a, in a way where he's like, "Hey, I don't want this to like tie to my identity." How did mm-hmm. he put it? He, Do you he think was, he said that? Yeah, like where doctor being a doctor tends to do i'm not saying for everybody but tends to like do that, right? Because mm-hmm. even if they're not in the doctor's office, people call him doctor or judge or there's mm-hmm. like certain things like you mentioned sergeant major or something yeah, like yeah. something Just where like they'd call him their title, title yeah. in real life, you know, outside of work kind. Yeah. So it does go feeds right into your identity. So I can understand that. Like here, like bro, no one calls me freaking recorder echo or whatever, you know, like <laughs> they, I don't have a title. So there's nothing tied to my identity and then on top of that, I do a bunch of stuff. So yeah. it's like I'm not the, like nothing's really like my profession, quote unquote, if you'd call it that, isn't tied to my identity in any way. <laughs> you know what's funny is, uh, you know when I was in the in the Dave Parker day, tell you, everyone called me Jocko. Yeah, from like a new guy yeah. that just met me. Look, look, occasionally a new guy would call me sir, like whatever. Right. Occasionally, but most as soon as they like knew me a little bit, they everyone called me Jocko. The admiral called me Jocko. So mm-hmm. everyone called me Jocko. My commanding officer called me Jocko. Every master chief called me Jocko. My platoon mates call me Jocko. Like, everyone call me Jocko. Mm-hmm. And what's funny, you've heard this too, is like, my kids would call me Jocko. 
which is kind of funny. That is. Funny. Uh, so I guess my identity is wrapped around being Jocko. Being Jocko, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I was always stoked that people would just call me Jocko in the teams, regardless of what rank they were, because they knew that I actually didn't care what their rank was or what my rank was. We were in the teams. We were gonna go do some cool shit. Yeah, there's kind of a, <laughs> and I guess this varies from person to person, but it, like in your situation where you're just Jocko, you're not like, you don't have any, ti- I mean, of course yeah. you have titles. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure you have many titles, whatever, well, all this stuff. I guess the only actual title I was, I was like, I was a lieutenant commander in the Navy. Yeah. So, but some people. I'm a black belt professor. Yeah. In the jujitsu. Right. So like, yeah. So we saw talent downstairs, right? So yeah. he'll, he'll call me like coach or professor or something like that. Right. But I think that's just kind of like a quirky kind of thing. Mm. You know, it's like a fun thing, you know, you like, might not know what your actual name is. Too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's very possible. <laughs> but at the end of the day, like no one really calls me or you in this case, which is actually more significant because you actually had these very specific professional titles where, there, but they still just called you Jocko. There's in like an inherent, like almost like a freedom to that, where like mm. you're not tied to any like identity by a title by anything. Yeah. You're just Jocko, no matter what you do or don't do, kind of a thing, Check. and just move through life free, just free. unplugged, as it were. Damn, look at this guy. All right, well, fifty year old surgeon, thanks for your service, sewing people up, man, and uh, look forward to the next phase of life. I say let, I say you phase it out. You know what I mean? Yeah, I say you I phase you it mean. out. You go 30 hours. You go, how many surgeries you do right now? You do 20 surgeries a week right now. Man, next year start doing 15. The year after that, start doing 10 a week. The year after that, you're only coming two days a week, you know, Thursdays and Fridays. Mm-hmm. Mondays, Wednesdays, Monday, the other days, you're like, you know, you're spending a little time, on, a little extra time on the jiu-jitsu mats. Yeah. A little time, a little extra time with that git box. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, right on, everybody. Thanks for joining us. You guys know the gig. We thank you for your support at jockofuel.com, originusa.com, jockostore.com, echelonfront.com. We're on the interwebs, as you know. Watch out for the algorithm. And we'll be here. You know, we'll be on the interwebs, but we will be here, right here Mm. in the underground, where we will be free. And until next time, this is Echo and Jocko out.